really excited to be sharing. This has been a great season we've been in, one another series. It's a great subject. I tell you what, it's the reason it's so important is because if we forget to do it and we're deliberate about community and togetherness, then we can start to think that we are on the right path, but in actual fact, we're a million miles away from God, where God wants us to be. And, um, you know, I, I preached this message last week at Oxford Falls. I spoke to Hearts and I said, look, I want you to preach this again at Silverwater. Um, and I want to talk a little bit today about what's so great about being in the body of Christ. What's so great about being together and being connected? Well, the first things about it is the covering, the covenant. You'll never fully appreciate the power of the covenant that you're under until you've come out from underneath it. And there's a lot of people that have actually walked away from God. Suddenly they realize, whoops, I was under something pretty amazing. We never want to become casual or blasé about the covenant, the covering that we are under. There's subsequent blessing in that place. By being together, we actually get to be a part of something that's bigger than us. Bigger than us. And we grow together by being together. We grow together when we're connected. When we're not connected, we stagnate. There's a terrific African proverb that says, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And the sense of going together can sometimes feel incredibly inconvenient. Because, you know, if you're like me, impetuous and that rush of blood to the head, and I think I'll do this and I'll think I'll do that, I had to tame that little sucker in my teens and 20s because I was so full of energy, wanted to be in two places at once, had to, had to learn the hard way that God wants to slow us down sometimes. And God wants us to discover our, our calling, our destiny, the bigness that He's got for us, but He does it within community. And do you know what's really hard about being a Christian? Is having the wisdom to cope with the perceived contradictions of being saved. You've got... You've got um, you know, Paul saying in the book of Romans, for what I long to do, I do not do. The things I hate, I keep on doing. And in the next chapter, he starts talking about being more than a conqueror. I'm like, go figure. It's a fine line between running the race that he's marked out for you and keeping in step with the Spirit. I always find that very hard. But you'll never discover that fine line between knowing when to run and when to slow down unless you are amongst the people that God's put you amongst. Uh, we're not isolated when we're in community. We're not isolated when we're connected and when we're together. I had breakfast with a great friend of mine who used to play in a Christian band together. His name's Chris Delamont, and uh, he's a terrific guy. Nothing like me. He's, uh, you know, it's not what he says, it's what he doesn't say that you need to listen for. And we all got friends like that, right? You know, maybe you're that kind of person. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm a bit of an oxygen thief. Chris, I just need to talk to you. Let's get coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, don't forget to bring a good book, I say. <laughs> I say, Chris, we need to talk. Anyway, we're chatting the other day, and he said, it's really ironic that all the things that were created and designed to bring us closer together in the 21st century have actually been the very things that have pushed us further away. Around the turn of the 19th century coming into the 20th century, there was a whole lot of economists and futurists that were talking about what the future would be projected like in the next 30 to 40 years. And one of the things that was said is that we are going to have more time for leisure. More time for leisure, more time to do the things that we want to do when we will work less hours. Fast forward into the future, 2017, all those little gadgets and the fact that the office is all around us have actually isolated us. We have to be deliberate about shutting it down. We have to be deliberate about 
focusing on connection. And I don't know about you, but it's very, it's a, it's a discipline. Pastor Phil held up his phone and staff meeting the other week. And he said, just because this vibrates and buzzes and dings and makes all sorts of noise doesn't mean to say you need to pick up and respond to it. And you might go, well, of course, Ryan. But I go, oh, I have an aha moment. You know, I must admit I'm not addicted to that thing, but it, it is screaming at me, mocking at me, trying to get my attention all the time, right? Very thing is, is pushing us further apart. And the other thing is accountability. Do you know the word accountability has gotten a bit of a dirty rap over the years? You know, often you're, as a pastor, there's certain phrases that you learn just through being around. And one of those things is where, you know, you might refer to certain Christians that, perhaps don't turn up very often or don't return phone calls or don't follow through on some of the things that you possibly suggest. And people would say, well, that's actually dodging and ducking and weaving from accountability. You know something? It's, let me tell you what accountability is. Accountability is just showing up, just showing up, just being visible. And when we are together and connected like this and we are present, we're accountable. People can see our lives. Something happens when we all come together. The grapes get crushed and we, we get absolutely drunk on the wine of God. Yeah, go ahead. Thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. But summed up, really, togetherness and connectedness in the body of Christ and one another can be summed up in one word, and that word is community. And do you know I really couldn't stand that word growing up? I couldn't stand the word community. In fact, any time that word was mentioned... I would just laugh. I would chuckle as a primary school age kid because the word community growing up for me meant something completely different to what it means now. Community for me growing up was sacrificing that sacred Saturday morning to go and work up at the local primary school on a Saturday morning working day, pulling out roots from the football over when I should have been skating at the skateboard, uh, at the skate park or surfing the break or playing music with friends. No, 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 no. That, the community, come and do your community chores. Come up to the primary school and paint fences, you know, or do a lamington drive to raise money, or dress up as some silly Roald Dahl character for the school fete. I didn't like the word community at all. But you fast forward, you know, 30 years into the future, and the word community now, for me, it means absolutely everything. And I want to talk about three things. I want to talk about the origin of community today. I want to talk about the journey of community, and I want to talk about the power of community. And... Um, friend of mine that Chad and I work with, Alistair McKenzie, is a terrific guy, uh, very artistic, pretty much do anything. I'm not sure if he can play guitar though, so boo-hoo, Al, if you're listening. But he created this wonderful slide for me. And, uh, you know, there's a word that I've become really familiar with because I'm fortunate enough to teach in the college at Oxford Falls. And the word that I've been teaching on is the word perichoresis. It's a Greek term that means rotation. It's not a hot sauce that you put on your chicken. Perichoresis is a Greek term that means rotation. Right? And it's how the three personalities of the Trinity that make up the triune God coexist together. Okay, Let's have a look at this slide if we can, guys. We've got the Father. Yeah. Oh, by the way, if ever you want to find a definition or an explanation of the Trinity, don't watch the movie Nuns on the Run with Robbie Coltrane. I don't know if you've seen it. He does his best to explain it to Eric Idle, and he says, he pretty much says, you know, it's God's like a shamrock, small green and split three ways, like a little three leaves but one leaf. Yeah, epic fail. You've got the Father, right? Sovereign, loving, the Creator. He got out of the way for His Son. He got out of the way for His Son. And uh, Colossians chapter 1 is very clear 
about the kind of glory that was shifted to the Son. It says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through Him and for Him. The Father had no problem shifting glory to His Son. But then, look at this, the Son, let's go back to that uh, graphic, guys. The Son gets out of the way for the Holy Spirit. Got out of the way. And in the garden, He said, that it is good for you that I go. Because if I don't go, I'm not going to be able to send the counselor, the paraclete, the helper, right? But guess what the Holy Spirit's job is? Let's go back to that graphic. We often overindulge in the presence of the Holy Spirit, but we need to remember that the work of the Holy Spirit is to point us back to the Son. The job is to point us back to Christ. If anybody ever asks, what's the work of the Holy, work of the Holy Spirit? Point you back to Jesus. Point you back to Jesus. Now, before some of you are looking at me right now because some of you guys are authenticators and, and, and you know, learners that need to qualify and quantify. It's so funny. Before I get to the end of this graphic, a person at church, very funny man, walked past me and said, great message, Ryan. There are two sons. <laughs> and they walked off and his wife said, leave him alone, Barry. It was a good message. Anyway, <laughs> now the son here, his role is to worship the father. He's seated at the throne, the right hand of the throne of, of our Father in heaven. He's our great high priest, our ambassador, our intercessor. And the point of this is so that glory will never rest. You know, for perfect love to exist, for perfect love to be genuine, there must be somebody that gives, but there must be somebody on the receiving end. Genuine love can't exist any other way. This is the origin of community. It started with the Trinity. It's a picture of perfect love. But do you know what's incredible about it is that it's also the origin of collaboration and creativity. You might consider yourself to be a creative person. Let me tell you, you want your creativity to reach the full potential, reach its full potential, fulfill those things that you want to do, you've got to do it together. You've got to be collaborative. That's the point of creativity. That's the point of maximized creativity is when you're collaborative with the people that God has put across your path. You know, when I was writing songs in the worship team, for 20 years we were doing that from youth to main church and then for the last 13 years as the music director we would always find that when we were collaborative and we weren't fixated on our ideas but we'd throw the song up in the air not literally and we were happy whichever way it would land but we would actually feed ideas and bounce ideas we would not allow glory to rest on any one songwriter because the creative process can be a very seductive mistress but we would just bounce ideas no one would get too precious and in those moments God was able to invade the creative process and that's where the greatest songs are written. Not when people found their identity in the creative process or in the creative lyrics or how the melodies were going to go. Of course, we had to be in agreement about uh, quality control, but not about political gains, not about creative gains, not about our idea being lord over somebody else. Quite simply this, the, the, the Trinity exists so that glory will never rest. And that is the origin and point of community. You know, when, when God... Uh, when the Trinity, in a time of creation, and Adam was created, said, let us make man in our image. Do you know when Adam was formed, from the dust of the ground, and God breathed the breath of life into his nostrils, he was created as a triune being. We have been created in the image of the Trinity, body, soul, and spirit, three. And we're just the vessel now, we're in the third dimension right now, but the fourth dimension is something, you know, that talks about in the Bible, in the New Testament, it talks about you know, that faith is the substance of things hoped for. Anytime you go there, you get it before you get it. It's in Pastor Phil's book. Many people have written about that. Dr. Cho writes about that in the fourth dimension. You get it before you get it. The substance of things hoped for. It's in another dimension. 
not in first, second or third dimension, but in a dimension you can't see, but you can feel, but you know. And we've been created as a triune being, body, soul and spirit. When we focus on the immaterial aspects of our unique selves, the soul and spirit fused together, suddenly we recognize, hang on a minute, we have been created in the image of God. That's the image of Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Okay, now that we understand a bit of that sort of stuff, I certainly hope that's comprehensive. Big question, what can we expect on the journey? What can we expect on the journey of community? Very important to talk about this sort of stuff because sometimes we miss the point of the entire exercise. I don't know about you, but there's a whole group of people that have been charted by um, statistics relating to churches called church leaders, people that have been departing, and it's the dust that they've been charting, realizing that there are a whole lot of people that have been having disillusioning church experiences. They haven't been experiencing any of the fulfillment in the local church that's been on offer that the Word of God says, that Jesus says, all of the fulfillment that He promises. And nine times out of ten, it's because we've been missing the point of the entire exercise. What is the journey for us as community? Well, it's quite simply this. It's God's deep work in us. God's deep work in us. In Ephesians 2.10, Paul says that we are His handiwork. We're His workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which he prepared in advance for us to do. None of us can say we're ready if we're not. None of us can say we've arrived if we haven't. None of us can say that we are qualified if God hasn't said it. Only, it's only God that can say we're ready. It's only God that can release us into our call. It's only God that can establish in what he wants us to do. What does the journey look like? It's not for our amusement or our entertainment. Many people treat the body of Christ connection community in the church like a floating RSL club you know it's got a bit of everything and what deals can I get we're living in a period in time called the post-denominational era and I don't know if you've heard about that but what it is is people picking and choosing what they want as far as their church experience is concerned they go into podcast land for a great message they go for a nice walk if they want prayer they listen to this particular worship album to get their worship fix they go to that church to hear that special speaker they go to that conference to get the power of God to touch them become like a bit of a drive-through, the post-denominational era. That's all fine as long as it doesn't take you away from the body of believers that God has connected you in on purpose. Thanks, Mick. As long as it doesn't take you away from that because that's where God does His deep work in us, in the body. It's the journey of community. And once upon a time, the church was front and center. It was the center of uh, movers and shakers in the world, in society. And people came to the church on the basis of their conscience. You didn't have to beg people to come to church 50 to 100 years ago. People went on the basis of their conscience. They just went because they feared God. The fear of God was intact. But so much has changed. It's not persecution that our, the church and society has been exiled to the corners. It's not persecution. It's actually a chance for us to reflect and to be protected and to think about what we really believe moving into the future. The journey looks like Connections that are not forced, but community on purpose. It looks like death to the right things. We are experts in dying to the wrong things as believers. We die to things like self-care, artistic expression, music, art, film, travel, friendships. We die to the wrong things, but there are deep root systems that God wants to pull out of our lives that he does in, on the journey of community. And let me tell you what some of those are. Number one, perfection. Perfection. It's actually okay to not be okay. Did I just say that? My goodness. <laughs> Did I? Whoops. <laughs> Thank you. There's a few claps here this morning. I'll get you guys later. Thank you for those prepaid claps. Um, it's actually okay to not be okay. 
you know it's funny try being a minister who's paid by the church as a living what do you do when for many many years there's been a unspoken pressure not from leaders but from society to have it all together false economy wouldn't you think if a minister is not doing okay yet he's actually feeding the sheep or he's actually got to present a polished image how do you deal with that one well, here's the deal. I would say that God never asked us to present a polished image because that is the absence of authenticity. And part of the journey is God allowing our authentic selves to emerge. In fact, we're living in a time where it's probably more powerful, where a local church minister, irrespective of age, says, you know what, I'm not doing okay. God's doing a deep work in me. How many people get set free from honest and bold statements like that? We don't make an, an excuse to sin by saying we're not okay, but we're honest and we're in touch. And we are allowing God's deep work in our lives. He wants us, and by the way, at university, it was no easier. When I was studying jazz straight out of high school, I was in a course where there was insatiable drive to keep up. People pushing, violating their limits, violating their, their ceilings and trying to get ahead. And for all the wrong reasons, and that's a really dangerous thing to get caught up in. Very seductive. But when I broke away from that, God was like, you know, it's actually okay to not be okay. It's actually okay to celebrate your limitations. They are my gift they are my grace in disguise. Comparison, control, pride. God wants to pull the deep root systems of intolerance and judgment and criticism out of us. We were never called to judge somebody else's spiritual journey, ever. His goal on this spiritual journey is for us to be transformed into perfect love. That's the journey of connectedness. That's the journey of community. Be transformed. This journey that God's spending a lifetime doing with us is a journey being transformed into perfect love. And uh, for years, I used to think to myself, man, we sing a lot of songs about worship, don't, about um, worship and the love of God. I don't know if you recognize that, but certainly over the last five years, every song was, you love this, you love that, the love of God, love, 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 blah, 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 blah. Dan Crotz and I got absolutely hammered by a very reputable paper in the city that wanted to do a little piece on us. I made a cup of tea and did the banana bread and sat down in a beautiful room. And then halfway through the interview, it switched. We got absolutely snookered. And they said to us, you guys write a lot of songs about love. It's a bit self-indulgent, don't you think, being believers? Aren't you supposed to be singing about other things? Me, this, me, that, God, love me, love, 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 love. And I walked away scratching my head and I go, how did I misread those signs? How thick am I? Dan and I just laughed it off and moved on. But it caused me to go internally and think about why exactly do we sing all these songs about the love of God? I'll tell you why we sing all these songs about the love of God and we should never make apologies for it is because it's driving out fear. It's driving out anxiety. It's driving out anguish. It's driving out depression. We've got to keep singing songs about the love of God. It's transforming us into the perfect love of God. Why doesn't the worship team come and join me? You guys are beautiful. How important is being transformed into God's perfect love? Well, Paul's pretty clear about it in the, in the book of Corinthians. I used to think that passage on love in Corinthians was a walking cliche because I heard it at just about every wedding. Just about every romantic engagement out, it would come, love is patient, love is kind, blah, 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 blah. Now listen to this. This is how important it is. He says this, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. You can read the Bible when you're 20 and then read it when you're 42 and it can mean something completely different. And you know what? I read this, I'm thinking, what exactly is Paul saying? 
You know what he's saying? You can't hide behind spiritual gifts. You can have a razor sharp prophetic gift. You can be full of the Holy Ghost. When you start singing, playing music, preaching, praying for people, lecturing, teaching, acts of service, bang, there's an anointing. But it will never atone for an absence of the golden thread of God's love. And you know what? As Pentecostals, we, are, we pride ourselves on the fact that we are in the realm of the Spirit, yeah? He says in verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. What's he saying? We can't hide behind acts of social justice or sacrificial giving. Sometimes we do because it satisfies the sincerity or the over-emotional side of us. It's more about theological points that we want to overemphasize or our own personal fears. You know, it's, it's, it's big language what I'm saying. I'm talking about the journey of community, God's deep work in us, pulling those deep root systems out of us so that the, the part of us that, that wants to people please, the part of us that, that wants to, um, you know, uh, impress, perform, it actually gets diminished in a greater way. Every time God pulls out a root system, that part of us that wants to please people and gain the attention of men, it dies in a greater way. But all of this sort of stuff is impossible to do without one very important piece of theology. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, we go back a chapter and have a listen to what Paul says. He says this in verse 12 of chapter 12. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body. Everybody say one body. So it is with Christ. For we're all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given one spirit. Everybody say one spirit. We're all given one spirit to drink. Paul's talking about being baptized in the Holy Spirit. The time between the resurrection and the ascension was a 40-day period in time. And the number 40 in the Bible, biblical numerics, it means a suspended period of time very powerful. And Luke assures us in the book of Acts where he says that he gave many convincing proofs to the disciples that he was alive, told them to wait in the city, be clothed with power from on high, right? But then he says this thing in the Great Commission, right before the, cl the cloud hides them from the sight of the disciples, he says this, go into all the world, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. There's the Trinity, perichoresis. And teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded. Then he says this statement, and you never want to just, you know, go over this statement without really emphasizing it and absorbing it. He says, and surely I'm with you now to the very end of the age. I don't know about you, but I've got plenty of friends that make those promises that they're going to turn up for my 21st or my 40th or call me on those special occasions. I'm with you, man. I'm right there and they never show. <laughs> promises, promises. Aren't you glad that Jesus is the kind of God that we serve that doesn't have empty promises? He follows through on His promises. He says, surely I'm with you now the very end of the age. What do you think he was saying and how do you quantify that? When he goes up and the cloud hides him from the sight of the disciples, imagine the sense of aloneness, isolation. Imagine the sense you've had a front row seat to all the miracles and now the Savior's gone. And the angel appears to him and says, what are you guys doing here, you dum-dums? He told you to go and wait in the city. The baptism was punch and glitter, thunderbolts and lightning. An amazing moment. The first time there had been a spiritual baptism on earth, speaking in tongues, filled with the Holy Spirit. But we've got to understand, what's this power for? Is it the power to speed up? 
Is it the power to build more, do more, go faster, go further, be more impressed? No, no. It's the power to slow your interior world down. It's the power to slow down for one another. The external world is not going to slow down, I can promise you that. So we have to slow down our interior world. And when we slow down our interior world and we dial down that static, we leave room for the deep work of God. But it is the work of the Holy Spirit, the power of community, to point to spiritual baptism, to be filled with the Spirit. We were never meant to live this life in our own strength. Why don't you just close your eyes this morning? I'm just going to invite Pastor Mick up. Thanks for listening, guys.